This episode of Transmissions is brought to you by Prime Toys, where you can get collector-grade toys without the collector-grade prices. Use the code TRANSMISSIONSMARCH at checkout for 10% off your order at primetoys.net. This episode is also brought to you with the support of our listeners. If you're able to donate, please visit our support page at transmissionspodcast.com support. On that page, you will find links to donate via Patreon or PayPal. If you can't donate monetarily, please help us out by spreading the word about our show. Sentient beings, and welcome to the Transmissions Podcast, where we talk about all news, toys, and comic books related to the Transformers. On this episode of Transmissions, we're joined by Transformers Deviations writer Brandon Easton as we talk about his career, being a writer, and scoring the Transformers Deviations gig. So press pause on Marvel's Agent Carter and put down your copy of Andre the Giant Closer to Heaven because we're about to start Transmissions. Welcome to Transmissions, the podcast that's going to deviate from our normal show. Uh I'm your host... (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, that was just that was too funny. I'm your host Charles, aka Big C, and I'm joined by the excellent Transmissions team. Yusuf, better known as Yoshi. Yo, everybody. Jeremy, aka Yakko. Hey, everybody. And Daryl, the Cybertronian Beast. Hey, what's up? Let's talk Transformers. All right, and we'd like to welcome a very special guest to the show today. He's written for comic books and TV shows, including the graphic novel Andre the Giant Closer to Heaven, the Transformers Rescue Bots cartoon, and recently an episode for the second season of Marvel's Agent Carter. As a big Transformers fan, he's recently gotten the chance to write a new comic that revisits a pivotal moment from our childhood, Optimus Prime's death in Transformers the movie. Please welcome the writer of Transformers Deviations, Mr. Brandon Easton. Hey, man, thank you. That was the best damn intro I've ever had. I swear to God, because like nobody ever does any research despite Google being a thing. So uh, thank you for that. Like, that's really cool, man, because no, no one has ever introduced the fact that I uh, did Transformers Rescue Bots. That, that kicks ass. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's fucking awesome. Hey, we, we try to do our homework. <laughs> yeah, it takes like 30 seconds in the 21st century to you know figure this out, but no one does it. So you know, you guys are off on a great start. So uh, What are the list of these other <laughs> shitty podcasts so we don't have to listen to them again? <laughs> <laughs> I can't hurt people's feelings right now. Okay. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> all right. Well, well, we're here to talk all about you, Brandon. So, so awesome. let's get right into it. Cool. So uh, could you tell us a story of how you decided to become a writer? Well, uh, let's see. Uh, I got to go back a bit. Uh, I mean, I, I'd i always wanted to tell stories of some kind. And uh, I, I've been reading comic books since like 1981 or 82. So I'd always wanted to create stuff, you know, in a science fiction context. So uh, by the time I got through college, undergrad, um, basically I'd had two uh, writing teachers tell me that they felt I had talent and I should explore it. And I'd always wanted to do uh, storytelling of some kind. So for a while I was writing short stories, but that didn't really go in the direction I wanted. And then for a long time, I wanted to be a film director. So it wasn't until about, I'd say 1997 or 98, where I really got serious about writing when I just felt that 
I, one, couldn't really afford to be a film director at the time, but this was before the digital revolution. So I started concentrating solely on screenplays. And then when I went to uh, Boston University for grad school, where I earned my uh, MFA in screenwriting, I had just totally switched over to writing. And by the time I graduated in 2001, that was really all I wanted to do. So in 2002 is when I actually got my first major paid gig for writing. And that was a uh, comic book with Dreamwave Productions called Arcanium. And that was pretty much my start in the business. Okay. So uh, uh, we did do our research. So we noticed that you started off as a public school teacher. So how did you go from being a public schools teacher to to getting into writing? Well, yeah, I taught from uh, 2002 through 2006. So the same year that I broke into comics was pretty much the same year I started teaching. I mean, it's a long personal story about why I even ended up teaching after breaking into comics. But Mm -hmm. I taught for six years. I taught history and economics in New York City public schools. And toward the end of my sixth year, I was pretty disgusted with the school system. I was disgusted with the No Child Left Behind initiative that the Bush administration had put into effect, which had really destroyed the educational system. And that's not even a partisan thing. That's just the real fucking deal. I mean, things were just horrible. And they've been trying to fix it ever since 2007 or eight. But I was really disgusted with the system. And I'd wanted to make a major choice about what I was going to do with the rest of my life. At the time, I was 34 years old, so uh, I had to make a decision. So I was trying to decide between law school, uh, the principal's academy, where I could actually try to make some changes for, you know, for my students in the long run. Mm -hmm. And the third choice was to go for my screenwriting dreams in L.A. So I had to make a really hard choice. And over the summer of 2008, I decided to just say hell with it and give it a give L.A. a shot. Now, the big problem was that in my infinite stupidity, I totally didn't remember that the writer's strike of 2007 pretty much destroyed the industry for writers from 2007 to about 2010. So after any Mm. after a strike of any kind, new people are not usually let in. And I didn't really think about that until I was on the ground here in Los Angeles. And uh, I spent the next three years really paying dues. I was working horrible jobs and just had a lot of bad things happen. But, you know, my life eventually turned around, but uh, there was a good long point in time when I felt like the universe was telling me to go back to the East Coast. So, um, but, you know, and, you know, to, to go back to your question, I just decided to uh, get out of the system. You know, really, me and my principal hated each other. There was a lot of issues with parents. I mean, some of my students were awful. And it's the system just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I thought after six years, I'd see some positive changes. And I felt like if I was going to battle to fight, a, a, you, know, a, a, you know, a useless battle, a lost cause, I'd try to do it in Hollywood rather than in the educational system. So that's pretty much. Uh, nice. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, it is nice, but we really do need rain bad. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's the, the, the drought here is exceptionally horrible. And, uh, you know, when it rains, I'm very happy. But yeah, I mean, it's beautiful, like about 340 days out the year, you know, but you, but you pay for it somehow. You yeah. know? So, <laughs> you know, we, 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 we have to pay more for produce because we can't grow it here anymore. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's how I jumped from teaching to screenwriting. Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, you got into comics and you mentioned Dreamwave. So were were you, uh, at least did you get any uh, background info on the Dreamwave, com- the Transformers Dreamwave comics that came out at the time? 
Well, at the time, I actually wrote a Transformers Armada one shot. I did um, the free comic book day edition of Transformers Armada. So oh. I actually had a chance to write some Transformers stuff. I wanted to get on the big books, which were the regular Armada series. And I wanted to uh, work on the one that Jim Lee, I mean, sorry, that Pat Lee was drawing. But that never happened because Dreamwave had their own problems as, that are well documented. Yeah. But <laughs> right. <laughs> luckily, I wasn't around when that when that nonsense went down. But uh, make a long story short, uh, I mean, the, the thing I learned, and it's not a negative thing I'm about to say, but the thing I learned is just that Hasbro is very protective of the Transformers license, as they should be. And it was very interesting to hear what you could do and you couldn't do in a Transformers comic. And it was very, very interesting to see how that played out. So, uh, and all these years later, it's funny. I circle right back around to Hasbro, and uh, those those rules are still in effect. <laughs> Hasbro is aware of the Michael Bay movies, right? They are, they are. But see, the, the the trick is, and I've learned this in Hollywood, you know, for better or for worse, that when you start making people money, you get a lot of leeway to destroy things. And not only do you get leeway, if that horrible thing makes a billion dollars every time it comes out, then no one cares. Because the people who green light, who greenlit the Transformers movie have probably never watched a cartoon a day in their life or read a comic book a day in their life. So all they know is Michael Bay can bring us a billion dollars. And he does. Yeah. I mean, as horrible, and I hate to say this, but as horrible as those movies are, they make a lot of money. And it's like all the anger. And, I mean, I'm going to tell you something. I was such a Transformers geek that I lost friends because of it. I actually lost relationships <laughs> because I was so hardcore Transformers back in the day. And then one day after the second horrible Transformers movie came out, I was like, you know what? It, no one really cares. Like, I have no power to stop them from doing this. And all the anger and bitching and complaining I was doing, it didn't make a hell of a difference. So I just had to let it go. And I just concentrated on G1 most of the time. Because, you know, I can't <laughs> I can't do anything about these new movies. I just don't support them, you know? And it's whatever, you know? It's not the end of the world. But, uh, you know, the IDW puts out great comics and really great comics. And I have tons of, we have, you know, hundreds if not thousands of hours of Transformers uh, material in animation and and uh, America and Japan. So I, I think we'll be all right with that stuff. All right. Sounds like you and Yoshi would get along just fine. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I like it when I wake up and don't kill somebody for the day. There you go. Yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about, man. There you go. I was just thinking, Charles, like, when is this When is this gentleman coming to a BotCon or a TFCon for us? <laughs> hey, you know, I would love to. I, you know, a BotCon, the last one I went to was at uh, the Pasadena Convention Center out here outside of L.A. Is that and 2011? You know, I think it was a couple. Yeah. yeah, it was a couple years back, and um, I had a good time there. So yeah, I was at that one. Oh, cool, cool. This was the one where um, uh, they had uh, the panels about uh, what's her name, Windblade, the Windblade character. They oh, had the panel. That might have um, been after oh, that, that one. That was that might have been 2014. I, well, it I had to be. That, yeah, yeah, I was at that one too. Yeah, so was I. I was in the same room. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was uh, John Barber and Marguerite Scott and a couple other people were up there. And uh, mm -hmm. they were talking, but they, they spent a lot of time talking about Windblade, and I, and I thought that was interesting because I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of the character, but I was very happy that Windblade had got a new character had gotten so much, uh, so much play and so much hype. I was shocked, really. So uh, that was yeah, that was uh, that was my experience. I would love to go to BotCon again. I, he I hear that they are thinking about getting rid of that con and doing a, a yearly con in Vegas. Is there any truth to that? Those are the rumors. the The company that puts on BotCon is for 
everything we can tell, they're losing the license ah, after this year's convention. Gotcha. Shit. Okay. Oh well. But there is an unofficial <laughs> convention called TFCon that that we think is better in some accounts than BotCon. Yeah, Mark, where where is TFCon? I I don't I, I, I never see it. There's a where Canadian one. That's probably why you don't see it. Oh, it's gotcha. in the tundra. Right. No, no, it's, in, <laughs> it's outside Toronto. What was it Winnipeg? <laughs> then okay, there's Toronto, a U.S. Okay. one that's been moving around, but it's going to be in Chicago in October. Oh, really? All right. See, now that I could go. All right. Well, we you, should put you in touch with the people who who yeah. are doing it because they might want to invite you as a guest. Yeah. Or, uh, I, I would love to do that. Mm-hmm. I would yeah, like to invite do. you as a friend. <laughs> yeah, just just and, come with and, us. Yeah, we've got a bottle we'll of vodka you. with you. You've got yeah. some really good vodka. We can definitely be friends. So uh, <laughs> see how that plays out. So, uh, in general, uh, since you've you've done uh, some comics and some TV, so yeah. if people want to get a sense of your work, mm-hmm. what comics should they pick up, and which shows should they check out? Well, great question. Uh, let's start at the beginning. Um, I think that my, some of my better work is my recent work. Uh, the Andre the Giant book is probably the one one of the best things I've ever written, like period. So I strongly recommend that. It was the first nonfiction graphic novel I ever wrote. So uh, I think that that is a great place to start with what I can do in terms of storytelling. Um, I think that, you know, the Transformers Rescue Bots episode I did was a lot of fun. I mean, it was, I mean, it's geared for a much younger crowd, but if anyone's listening who has young kids who want to get introduced to the franchise, Rescue Bots is an excellent show to do it because it's very inoffensive. So, you know, I don't think, because, you know, know, Transformers Prime is a little bit dark at times, but, uh, you know, uh, Rescue Bots is cute and it's perfect for people under 10 years old. So I recommend that. And then, of course, my Agent Carter episode, um, episode 207, which was called Monsters. But I strongly recommend people watch the entire series or else my episode's mm-hmm. not going to make any sense. So uh, <laughs> it's basically my episode is like watching the last 10 minutes of Empire Strikes Back. So if, you, if you've never watched Star Wars and you just watch the last 10 minutes, you're like, I have no idea what the hell's going on here. So uh it's a good place to uh, check out, you know, it's a good idea to watch all of it to check out my work. So, uh, yeah, I would say the Andre the Giant book. And then, of course, Transformers Deviations, uh, yes. you know, which, which as of this recording will be out in a few days. So <laughs> I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the uh, overall reaction from real Transformers fans. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to read the Andre the Giant book, but I've heard nothing but good things about it. So, oh, thanks. You know, thanks. Cool. I'm, I'm planning on trying to pick it up at some point. Yeah, we just—I think they—they they just had to go in. They may be going into a second printing soon. I think, because um, it was out of print for like a little while, so it might be a little bit harder to find as time goes on. But definitely keep an eye out for it. Cool. All right. And so, since you've since you've tackled both comics and TV, mm-hmm. what do what do you think is the main difference between writing for television and writing for comics? Oh well, TV—it's all about budget. Uh, everything, anything on television, well, and then let me be more specific. If anything is live action, what you need to worry about more than anything else is budget. Because uh, what usually happens is every episode is budgeted for a certain amount and you cannot go over it. So you're very, 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 very aware of daytime shots, nighttime shots, special effects shots, anything requiring stunt people, anything requiring requiring weapons or vehicles. So you got to keep certain things in mind. And another factor is writing comics is a very, very specific skill set because what you're doing in a comic book script is uh, describing a series of still pictures in 
sequential order. And with TV, everything generally moves forward with real people and real actors. So uh, TV is a different kind of writing. The scripting is much more geared toward actors, whereas comic book scripting is more geared toward the artist understanding what you're trying to convey visually. So uh, it's a huge difference. And this is why you don't see a lot of crossover TV writers slash graphic novel creators. There's very few people who do it, even though there are a lot of writers in both sides who could tell stories. Like there's a lot of TV writers who could tell great comic stories and vice versa. But a lot of people don't know how to make the switch because it's really not easy if you're accustomed to one style of writing. I mean, luckily, I've been writing comics for as long as I've been writing television. So I, um, I'm pretty good with that. So, um, it, but it's not easy. It's, it's definitely two mm-hmm. se- separate ways of thinking about stories. Okay. Do you have a preference? No, not at all. I mean, I love writing comics and I love writing television and TV pays a lot more. So, uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> I can't, <laughs> I love both, but yeah, I mean, I love them both. I mean, yeah. t- movie writing is actually harder, you know, cause uh, TV is very, very, uh, formulaic in terms of structure, but with a movie, there's so many other factors in play these days that, you know, I, I tried to write features when I first moved out here and it just didn't work. It's just a whole different, you know, ball of wax. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, let's, let's get into your writing process. So sure. how is, what is your process like? Uh, it depends on what it is. I mean, TV, you work with other, you have a writer's room. So you're sitting in a room with anywhere between three to 10 other people and you got, we were all like breaking out an episode and doing an outline and we figure out what the season is going to be, you know, and it, all this stuff takes, you know, weeks and months at a time. And then um, you're, and if you're lucky enough to be assigned an episode, you get a script, you go off for 10 days and write it, and then you come back. That's TV writing in a nutshell. And of course, you have to deal with the network and the studio and your bosses who are the, usually the executive producers. You got to deal with their notes. Uh, with comics, what I try to do Well, it depends. If I'm being paid by like a company to do something, I usually have to follow their mandates. And that just requires outlining and dealing with the editor back and forth, back and forth. If it's my stuff, I usually it takes me about anywhere between three to six months to develop a new idea because I try to make sure that while I'm creating my stuff, nothing else is coming out similar because every writer in the world will tell you that they'll start this project that they think no one's ever seen before or never even thought about. And then right before they release theirs, something else exactly the same is released. It happens all the time. You know, um, Hollywood does it like every year, like every other year, there's like two disaster movies of the same type of disaster. You know, there was one year Mm -hmm. they had uh, Dante's Peak and there's another movie called Volcano and they both came out in the same year. Uh, Then you had like uh, Deep Impact and Armageddon. Same general disaster, but, you know, they came out, you know, the same year. And you see this happen with novels, you see it happen with TV, and you see it happen with comic books. So I try to be very aware of what I'm doing so that no first no one can say I'd rip them off, which is no one ever really says that. But it, it is an annoying thing because, for example, the Andre the Giant book, um, there was another Andre the Giant book that was released like a year before, you know, ours was. And even though we started hours way a long time ago because the company that paid for the book to be produced is called lion forge comics and lion forge um dealt with andre the giant's estate way back when it's just that it took years to deal deal with the paperwork and get everything done and then another guy wrote an andre the giant book because all of a sudden people started thinking about andre the giant so uh (laughs) we had two andre the giant graphic novels 
within a year. And that's crazy. You know, like who, who would have ever thought that? So yeah, I'm a very deliberate creator in terms of development because I overdevelop in the beginning, meaning doing a story Bible with character backgrounds and all that cool stuff. And I outline where I think things should go. And then by the time I sit down a script, I can pop the script out real fast because I've already developed the world nice. So okay. that's how God, that I would love to see that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in, in terms of uh, when, when you sit down to write, where do you do it? Do you do it at home or do you go somewhere? And, and what do you use? Like uh, you have a favorite uh, PC or laptop or something or, you know, oh, well, favorite application? I write at home most of the time. I mean, uh, being in L.A., every coffee shop, any place where a writer can sit down and there's a plug everywhere in Los Angeles, you see people writing scripts 24-7. So w- there are times when I decide to go out to coffee shops or restaurants and uh, and do a little bit of writing. I'm also a member of the Writers Guild of America, the WGA. So I can go to their building. It's just in a rough part of town to park in. But I can go to the WGA building anytime, and they have a, a members lounge and a library and a bunch of other cool spots where you can sit down and write. So um, yeah, I, I write everywhere. You know, it's just a ma- I just need quiet and my headphones, and everything's mm-hmm. cool. And in terms of like what I write on, I mean, everybody has a, a laptop here, and I usually use a program called uh, Final. Actually, I only use a program called Final Draft, which is a uh, industry standard screenwriting program that. Most people in LA, most people who are working in the industry use. Almost everybody in the industry, I think, uses a final draft. Okay. And uh, what what would be one piece of advice that you would give to aspiring writers? I know you, you, you talked about how you've you've mm. had a kind of a, a long journey to, to get to where yeah. you are. So what, what advice would you give to, to people who are coming up? Well, it's not one thing. Um, before I answer that, I will plug myself because I have a podcast called Writing for Rookies. And okay. it it's it's like my entire career, because as my career was going up, I was recording uh, podcast episodes about what was happening to me. And it deals with every question any aspiring writer, particularly comic book and science fiction writers may have about how to break in. But uh, there's not like one piece of advice. It's like a couple of things I'd say. One, the th- one thing that really bothers me when I meet new writers is how little research they do on the business. I mean, we're living in a time when most people have a phone that is almost as powerful as their laptop. You know, you can press a couple of buttons on your phone and get any information you want about screenwriting or breaking in. And I'm I'm always stunned, and I mean fucking stunned, by how little research supposed writers want to do. I'd say people need to really just start thinking more about learning how the business actually works. There's this big fucking gap between what writer, how writers think the industry works. And I mean, publishing comics and Hollywood and how it actually does. And they, and a lot of writers make stupid mistakes that they shouldn't make if they just would just take five minutes and do a Google search on how to get an agent or how to write a, you know, a, a query letter or what's manuscript format. I mean, all this stuff is free online. And no one, and, and I, and I'm, and I'm stunned by how many writers I meet who just don't know this stuff, don't even know to think about it. The you know? fun part is the writing. The, everything else is yeah. the work. <laughs> you know, right, yeah, that's the trick. And you know, but, I but guess it, it, it's not just it's not just writers. It's everything. I do IT support, and oh, other okay. people just, I mean, <laughs> like, right. how do I do this? And I'm just googling as they ask me. I'm like, <laughs> right, exactly. People, people just don't want to put in the work. 
Yeah, dude, it, I mean, I, I just didn't, I didn't know where it was that widespread. You know, I just felt like, well, if you're a writer, you would be spending time online learning about writing. You know, and like, for example, like when I went to college, I went to college in 1992. There wasn't an internet then. We had like IRC, like Internet Relay Chat. And that was about as far as it went. And you had to like log in in the computer lab. You know, then as time went on, the internet really became, you know, a thing. But I remember wanting to learn about this kind of stuff. And I just went to a library. Or, you know, I I did something. I mean, there were all these things you could do. And, you know, I don't know. I just get really pissed off about people not doing research, not writers specifically not doing research. So I would say first, do research on the business. Learn how publishing works. Learn how the comic book industry is set up. Learn what script format looks like. Because if you want to break in, if any of that shit is wrong, you're not breaking in. Because there are so many people with talent who already know how to do this stuff. And the last thing, uh, uh, you know, an editor or a producer or whoever wants to deal with is somebody who doesn't even know how to format their script or format sure a manuscript. That's the first cut you know? of, of things off someone's desk. Yeah. I mean, well, the thing is, you have to get to a level to where you can even be seen. And in order even to get to a level where you can be seen, you need to have your shit together. Like you have to have your material on point. So that's number one. Number two, I'd say is for people just to get writing done. You know, it's like I meet people all the time and ask me, oh, do producers buy ideas from people? I'm like, sure. If your name is J.J. Abrams. Yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, he can. Yeah, I mean, Spielberg, he can go up to somebody and say, I have an idea and somebody will give him a million dollars for an idea. But the rest of us have to have completed material and not only completed material, but material that has been vetted by an editor or freelance editor or people who know what quality looks like and supposed to look like. Um, Just having a first draft is not enough because nowadays we not only have competition from American creators. We have competitions from people all over the planet. I mean, producers are always looking for new stuff to adapt. So if your stuff isn't at least as good as stuff internationally, then you're not going to get seen by anybody. And that's the reality. So do research and get your stuff done and also get it vetted by freelance editors, producers. Like, you know, there's all these consultants out there. Most of them suck, but there's a couple of them that I would recommend that writers send their stuff to to get it professionally evaluated before they hit the market. So that the minute you hit the market, you're already better than 90% of the people out there. So that's my advice. That sounds really good. (laughs) So I hope if if there are any aspiring writers who are listening to our show, uh, definitely check out uh, Brandon's podcast. So if you can give us a link, we'll put, we'll put that in our show notes. So people sure, can check I'll, that out. I'll be happy to. <laughs> I just found it. I bookmarked it. I'm going to listen to it. Oh, kick ass. All right. <laughs> Will you share the link with Charles? Yes. I'm, I'm going to put it, I'm going to put it down in the, uh, in the uh, link thing we have. All right, cool. All right. So now let's, let's get into transformers. That's what we're all here for. All right. So uh, can you tell us uh, about, your your history with Transformers. So I think you mentioned you've loved it since you were a kid. So how did yeah. you get first get exposed and and you know what what was your experience back in the eighties? Wow, man, you whew, this is a good one. Oh, you, we got some time, right? Uh, <laughs> all right, as well, much time okay. as you need. <laughs> all right, so let's start at the beginning. Well, in nineteen eighty four, I'm trying to remember when it came on because I'm trying to remember if it was spring or fall of nineteen eighty four, but I remember seeing the commercial for the Marvel comic and. And I, first of all, like I said, I've been reading comics since 81 or 82. I can't remember because I'm getting old. But 
Um, I remember one morning seeing this cartoon where this giant robot came, it was Megatron, came out the sky and fought this other robot that turned from a truck into a robot. And I was like, what the fuck is this? I couldn't say that back then, but in my mind, I was like, what the fuck is It was like so goddamn cool. And it was like, you know, coming from Marvel Comics. And I was like, first of all, this is back in the day when they did commercials for comic books on TV. Because G.I. Joe came out in 83, and they had a comic book series for Marvel. And they also would do commercials for the comics. So I remember watching the G.I. Joe show, and then the Transformers, which makes sense because Sunbow and all those guys, Marvel did all that stuff. Uh I remember seeing that commercial and I thought, wow. So then, you know, obviously the comic book came out. I believe, I believe the comic came out first, but the comic looked nothing like the cartoon at all. Right. In fact, it, it completely nothing like the cartoon. So then I remember seeing the show and after that, it was love at first sight. So I remember uh, just being a huge uh, giant robot fan. Uh, I used to watch that, uh, Mighty Orbots. And even those horrible GoBots, I remember watching that too and enjoying it for a little while. And then I got a little bit older and I thought GoBots was complete garbage. So um, I don't think Hanna-Barbera should do robot shows. But anyway, um, (laughs) uh, that was just Otonka, whoever the fuck, I don't know. But anyway, so I became a huge fan and I was a fan straight through. I mean, I was a fan all the way up through that horrible uh, Generation 2 show that had the the puppet Optimus Prime and that little kid talking to him in between the uh, commercial breaks. Uh, mm-hmm. that was, that was God awful too, but I was a fan all the way till it pretty much stopped showing in the U S and, and obviously I went off to college 92. So I didn't really see the the final days of uh, the American Transformers cartoons. And in 1986, I went and I was, I'm from Baltimore and I don't know if any other city in the United States had this phenomenon, but I went to sold out shows of Transformers, a movie in Baltimore. Like I, the first time I saw it, I went, it was like a two o'clock show on a Friday afternoon. And it was the middle of summer and it was packed. Like I found like one of the few seats wow. that was, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I wish I wish I could go back in time and bring people with me because you had you, you had to have seen this. The energy in that theater was as if those Star Wars was out or, you know, Ghostbusters or Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, it was that level of energy in that audience. And when, you know, Ironhide got his head blown off, everybody was stunned. When Prime and Megatron <laughs> fought, you know, everyone was blown away by that. And then, you know, Spike curses. Everybody's blown away with that. And the whole goddamn movie, I mean, like we had people dying on screen, you know, and I'm watching the cartoon and then, the, you know, the animation quality jump was considerable. You know, I mean, looking oh, at yeah. it now, it looks like your typical, you know, stuff. But, you know, the G1 cartoon, you know, for all intents and purposes, looked like a piece of shit. You know, I hate to say that now, but as a kid, you didn't notice it. But looking back now, I mean, sometimes Sky Warp looked like Thundercracker and Thundercracker looked like Sky Warp. There'd be like 15 star screams on the screen sometime, you know. <laughs> uh, I mean, it would be like horrible stuff, you know. But, you know, we didn't care. But so we're watching the uh, Transformers movie and me and a bunch of my friends actually went. And we couldn't stop talking about it. And then I went back to see that three times before it left theaters in Baltimore, you know, and uh, (laughs) then it came out on VHS the following year and I didn't buy it, but I rented it from my local video store. So I watched Transformers, the movie, probably as many times as I've watched the original Star Wars on VHS, which is a lot. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, I'm a big fan. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Have Have you been active at all in the Transformers community online? Oh, my God. Dude, I used to be a part of alt.toys.transformers, which was in a deja. Oh. I was a part of that way back in the day. Then, okay. then I got uh, connected with TF Formers, uh, 
Then it was, uh, what was it? Bigbot.com. Then mm. it was TFW 2005 uh, forums. I was, on, I was on a Cybertron with a S forums. It, it, I've been a, yeah, I used to be a major part because there was a dude. I don't know if he's still around, but there was a dude named Tony Bacala who yeah, used he, to do he these. He owns uh, TFW 2005. Oh, I see. I didn't know that. Yeah. So Tony Bacala used to do these mixes, and I bought every one of those CDs. Because I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen him. I don't know if he actually did it, but whoever did it, it was awesome. Yeah, and man, those kicked ass. I love those. So, um, yeah, I was involved in them. Um, I'm trying to remember what my name was. I might have used some weird, I don't know who I was, but um, I was on there for a while. And then I started getting into really dumb arguments about Beast Wars. (laughs) <laughs> and and not, and and not the American one. I got into arguments about Beast Wars two from Japan, and I was getting in really stupid arguments with people. And I was like, you know what? I, this is these are toys. These are plastic toys, and I'm not arguing with grown men anymore. I, I couldn't do it, so I just kind of left the scene for a while, and I didn't get back into it until around 2010 or so. <laughs> So that's my story with that. So I took a break from like 2005 to 2010. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And I kind of got, yeah, I was pissed off. So, so uh, go, getting into the, the movie itself, I mean, of course, uh, this was, there's a very, I mean, in addition to all the multiple deaths, of course, there's the traumatic yeah, uh, death of of our you know our just the the pinnacle Optimus Prime. Yep, and uh, you know in hindsight, a lot of folks criticize Hasbro for that decision to kill Optimus Prime. It was the height of the Transformers' popularity. Yep, uh, it was you know it was pretty much just to make room for new toys. Uh, but do you think that 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 death actually made Transformers more memorable in the future. Like, I mean, I think yeah. in the third season of the cartoon, they shifted the focus completely. They had, you know, they yeah. told a lot of new and interesting stories by taking Optimus Prime and Megatron out of the picture. Yeah. Do you think that that's a, that that contributes to be Transformers being more remembered than other eighties properties? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say absolutely. Because I think that if Transformers had, not taking that big leap narratively, um, it would have just been remembered as a, to- a series of toy commercials, which, you know, in, a, in essence it is, but at the same time, it was awesome. Uh, I think that the big mistake was that Transformers, a movie, didn't get distributed everywhere. So there was, because I remember this, because there were friends of mine who did not go to the movies and see it. And so all they remembered was the end of season two, which was like Zeke or something, or that Ninja Ninja. I forgot what the final episode of season two was, but they remembered that. And then the next season begins, and everything looks weird and different. It looks like science fiction. It's not on Earth. You know, um, there's like monsters. There's like space casinos. There's like weird, like just weird shit you wouldn't think would be in Transformers and Prime. None of the G1 guys are really around as much. So... Uh, even though I think the tra- the death of Optimus Prime resonated with the people who saw the movie in the first in his first run, I think that it, it was a huge mistake because it took a while for the the movie to end up on VHS and Laserdisc. And what winds up happening is a lot of people had to catch up to Transformers the movie's events while season three was running or after season three had run its course. 
So when you had the return Optimus Prime return in Dark Awakening and then return again in the return of Optimus Prime, it didn't make any sense to a lot of people who didn't see Transformers a movie because you had to have seen that or else season three makes absolutely no sense. And that was a huge mistake because the gamble was that everyone would be able to see it. And clearly everybody didn't. And I remember this because I remember trying to explain what happened to kids who were either too stupid or too lazy to go see Transformers a movie in the theater, <laughs> you know, because it was there in Baltimore. I'm like, you, you know, we, we all live. It was a neighborhood theater. It's like all of us could have went and they didn't. So, you know, <laughs> they were idiots. Yeah. If, if you're into Transformers, why wouldn't you go see well, the, the damn movie? thing was sold out right. according to you? <laughs> Well, just no, only that Friday. Oh, okay. But uh, after that, it dropped. It was a precipitous drop off because that shit was only in theaters three weeks. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, they wouldn't go. And I was like, "What are you guys doing?" Like, you know. Anyway, that's that's a whole other story. <laughs> so now, now we're in 2016, and you get to revisit this classic moment. Did you have any reservations for for taking on like a? This is kind of a, a very you know a huge. Uh, event in transformers lore and transformers history did you you have any reservations on taking that on absolutely not all right i had no reservation see uh i was stunned that i was even asked to do it because i got an email out of nowhere because i had met with uh, people a while ago and you know in the comic book industry you meet editors all the time literally and 90% of the time, or actually 99% of the time, they don't remember you unless their buddy or girlfriend or whoever says, hey, you should probably give that guy a chance. So on the, and then 1% of the time you get a call back or email, it's kind of stunning, to be honest. So I got an email from uh, John Barber, who's the IDW Transformers editor and writer. And he said, hey, this is what we're trying to do. Did you have an idea for it? And I was like, yeah, hell yeah, I have an idea. And so I sat down and after about a week or two, we went back and forth. And then next thing you know, um, they're telling me they want me to write it. So I was very pleased to be able to, to to operate in, first of all, to work in the G1 continuity because I really miss it a lot. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, I had a blast writing it. Um, I, I wanted a couple of more pages, but I had no control over that. So I think I was able to tell a story I wanted to tell in the space that I wanted to tell it in. But uh, yeah, it was a great experience, and I was very happy to be asked. And I'll, and it's one of the highlights of my career, to be honest. Wow. Okay. So uh, now that you you've gotten a chance to to write this comic, so starting off with this, you mentioned you've seen the movie lots and lots of times. Did, yep. Did you do one more rewatch, or did you just jump right in? With, I did not. With both feet. I did not okay. rewatch it. I didn't rewatch it until after I handed my script in. And I, should, I probably should have watched it, but um, I just the thing is, I know every scene of the film. Like I can, if I wanted to, and I was like went to jail or something, which I never hope I go. I could just lay in my sack and just watch the movie in my head from beginning to end, just by closing my. I mean, I know that film because I saw it when I was a kid, and like you know, kids are sponges, and I wish I had learned languages or something. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 I absorbed all these shows and movies and cartoons and uh, Transformers a movie. I know it. So I, I think I went on YouTube just to get a couple of the, uh, the, the opening battle right. I just wanted to make sure that I was describing it correctly. And um, I mean, the battle when Prime you know, goes to uh, fight Megatron. So when you got to touch is playing. So I, I, I rewatched that scene and then that was it. But the rest of it was all in my head. All right. Yeah. So what was your process for working uh, with the artist Priscilla Tramontano and how Mm -hmm. much, uh, if any, back and forth did you have with her? I didn't really uh, get to talk to her too much. 
because we were really hammering out the outline. And that was, like I said, we had went back and forth a couple of weeks. So I just wanted to make sure that, uh, that the script was tight. So when we sent it off to her, uh, we, she only came back a couple of times with questions, but I'm pretty sure she also knew the movie. So, uh, -hmm. we didn't, it was only like two things we had to fix. And outside of that, it, it flowed very well. I didn't get to really interact with her a lot, but Priscilla did a fantastic job, in my opinion, and um, I really enjoyed uh, her take on what I what I had written. So, yeah, yeah I think it, you're it, lucky. You're lucky that IDW, like most of the people working on Transformers, are huge fans of the product. So, <laughs> she's probably very familiar with the movie. So I can tell because she did a great job, and I really enjoyed. Because um, like when I was writing it, I was like, okay. Because I, I, I didn't really, I don't really know her, so I never really had a chance to talk to her. So I didn't know if she was somebody who, also like me, had the film in her head. So, but apparently she did. Mm-hmm. So I'm very happy. Awesome. So now uh, with deviations, uh, of course, this is uh, the first thing that came to our mind was the what if comics uh, for Marvel. Absolutely. Uh, in yeah. terms of the the structure, and so did you? Did you envision basically? Like what uh, in terms of st- uh, structuring the story to take what happens in the movie and just basically kind of shift the events in terms of, uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, taking, you know, taking one character out of the equation and adding another one in and then seeing what would happen there. Uh, what I was trying to do is think about the bookmark moments of the film. And there's a few of them. Actually, there's a mm-hmm. lot of them because the film had was like incident, 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 incident. The structure of the film is pretty fast. But I wanted to hit on like a couple of the big beats visually. Like I know everybody wanted to see the first fight. Everybody wanted to see Starscream. What, what would happen with uh, Starscream after he gets to Cybertron? Would we still have him being a king or whatever? Uh, I wanted to have um, the shark decon scene. And I and unfortunately, I had to like leave out so much of the junkie on stuff because it really I mean, tonally, you know, when you I mean, if there's one scene I'm not the biggest fan of is the junkie on scene, because tonally it doesn't fit how serious the movie is in the beginning. And then you get to junkie on and it becomes like a Monty Python sketch. And I'm like, all right, I get what's going on here, but this is not funny to me. And I I wanted to get back to the main story. This, This is just my opinion. So mm-hmm. I didn't really spend any too much time on Junkie on, and I knew that I wasn't going to have a whole lot of space at the end to really have the battle that I wanted to. So I just hit on, um, like, like I said, the big bookmark moments. And then I also had to develop the characters a little bit differently. And this is why in the story, Ultra Magnus and Hot Rod are beefing out of nowhere. Like suddenly they, they have this weird relationship. But the thing is, we never really saw them interact too much. In the movie, right. because Cup and Hot Rod go off with the Dinobots, and then um, Magnus and the rest of the gang go and you know go off and do what they have to do. And I always felt that obviously Cup and Hot Rod had a really cool friendship, mentor, like you know a father son kind of thing. But I often thought to myself, there's very little interaction between Ultra Magnus and Hot Rod, and I just thought, what if they just didn't like each other? Like that would make perfect sense. Why they don't ever you never see them around each other, even like in the third season. When he's a second in command, you just kind of get this feeling that Ultra Magnus really doesn't like Hot Rod. <laughs> and I'm just like, it should have been me. It should have been me. But uh, I kind of, so I, I felt, you know what? Let's play around with them not liking each other. And that became one of the, the one of the kind of plots, that one of the A and B stories, because I had to have Starscream story. 
and I wanted to have the uh, A and B, you know, the A story of what was going on with Hot Rod and Ultra Magnus, because obviously Optimus is in places where he never would have been. And I also was like, what would what would Optimus do if he was around for the rest of the movie? Because if you really think about it, even if he was alive, what would he have really changed until the end? You know, a lot of stuff would have mm-hmm. still happened. Like they still would have crash landed on Quintessa, depending on which shuttle he took. But probably he wouldn't have been with Ultra Magnus. He would have sent Ultra Magnus and he would have taken his own shuttle, which is what I wrote. So they would have went, so Prime would have likely ended up on Quintessa. So it's like, what happens on Quintessa? Well, he's not going to put up with the Sharktacons in the same way that Cup and Hot Rod because they're not as strong as Optimus. And so Optimus never got separated from the Dinobots. So imagine Optimus and the Dinobots, what would they do to the Sharktacons? I mean, those guys are pretty much unstoppable by themselves. And then you put the, like Prime with the Dinobots, they just they just walk right through <laughs> the Sharktacons and they just bust down the door and they're like, and the Quintessons are like, hey, it's those damn Autobots again. And they're like, hey, how do you, and then like Cup's like, how do they know who we are? You know, which we don't get into, but real fans are going to know what, what that's all about. Yeah. You know? Five phases of darkness. darkness exactly. Check it out. <laughs> so I kind of, so that was my process. I, it was hard to write in some ways because I had to figure out what dynamic I was going to concentrate on. And I had three, it was prompts being alive, Starscream story, and then hot rods story. And I still wanted to have hot rod have some significance because the matrix just doesn't choose anybody. But I also knew that Hot Rod couldn't live. So I figured, you know, <laughs> let's get rid. Let me kill a bunch of birds with one stone. And just like with the old Marvel What Ifs, mostly people died in those books. So um, I felt that this would be a nice way to end the story. And for all those who hate Hot Rod and Erotimus Prime, this would solve a lot of problems at one time. So there you go. <laughs> So uh, we're getting into spoilers for the comics. <laughs> so, oh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I, uh, I, I wanted to give a spoiler warning, but we'll, we'll put it. We'll put a time code. Yeah, so I'm sorry, sorry about that. I wasn't even thinking. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, hopefully people people are are listening after they read the book. But I hope uh, so. Yeah, so. Jesus, I hope so. <laughs> hey, Brandon, when you get copies of this book, are you just going to autograph your own and be like, look, I've got a signed copy? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I wasn't going to, but because you just said that, that's a great goddamn idea. I'm going to do that. Thank you. I'm actually going to do that. I'm going to get it framed. That's awesome. <laughs> so one other thing I wanted to ask about Hot Rod in in the comic is that uh, so he is prevented from causing Optimus Prime's death, but yes. then later on he has other actions that cause <laughs> yes. several other several other deaths. And yeah. uh, I, I get the sense that you thought his his uh, his impulsive his impulsiveness was just a character flaw that was going to get somebody killed at some point, and he needed to that needed to happen for him to learn from that mistake. Is was that your your thought there? Well, you, you got to think about the movie, right? I think he he got off easy for causing Optimus Prime's death. I mean, you know, in a real military, he, they would have shot him if, like, you, you're, if, if your commanding officer is fighting somebody and then you cause, through your direct action, your boss to die in a military situation. That, some people consider that, like, you know, treason or, you know, at least a dereliction of duty at the very least. So, uh, I mean, he's like a low-ranking Autobot who directly causes Optimus Prime's death. So I felt... You know, he has gotten off real, and he becomes leader at the end. Everyone seems to conveniently forget that the only reason he became leader is because he, he caused Optimus Prime to die. <laughs> so I felt, you know what? Uh, plus, you know, I hate to say this, but I never really liked the people on um, Ultra Magnus' shuttle too much. 
I really don't like RC. I really never really warmed up to Springer. Perceptor I liked. And Ultra Magnus, you know, was kind of boring. So I was like, you know what? They don't really serve a purpose. Because, in the, in the, you know, I'm like, what do they do in the second half of the movie? Other than, you know, running around inside a Unicron. They don't really do much. So I figured, you know what? I can't kill Daniel, which really I really wanted to. But I was like, I can't have Daniel die. So let me just get rid of the rest of those new age Autobots who, you know, nobody really cares about. So uh, <laughs> you know, I was like, let me get rid of. I mean, I'm sorry if those of you who like RC Springer. And yeah, Magnus, I, I, I think I think half the fandom just screamed out in anger. <laughs> no, 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 no. If I ever meet you, sir, I'm going to have you take my copy and sign it. Sorry, Daniel lived. Yeah, I, <laughs> once again, I will do that. So um, yeah, absolutely. No, so the trick is, uh, yeah, I felt like uh, uh, Hot Rod needed to be redeemed in some way, and. You know, and then obviously it's a spoiler, but at the end when he saves Optimus and then, you know, keeps Optimus alive, because I, fig- I figure he knows that Optimus is needed as a, not just as the leader, but he's also a figurehead of inspiration. So uh, I thought that, that was a really nice twist to put on at the end and then have the big ending and so forth and so on. All right. And we, we got to talk about Starscream. I mean, you, you uh, <laughs> bigger, bigger and better thing. I, I guess it, we, we see Starscream is definitely not quite the negotiator that Megatron is when he talks to Unicron. No, no, uh, <laughs> Starscream. Well, you know, the thing about Starscream is that depending on which version, he's either played really dumb or really smart. And I've always felt like Starscream should be really, really smart. And at the very least, be constantly trying to make sure, sh- like, he's all about self-preservation. Now, in Megatron's mm-hmm. case, Megatron was always thinking of the long game, which is why, you know, he was so awesome as a character. You know, he would always, like, figure out, okay, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to plan for that. And he always had, like, a second plan behind the first plan. In Starscream's case, he's all about self-preservation. So I kind of felt that it would be cool to play with Starscream's ambition even after the fact. So he's the leader, and then he gets what he gets, and then at the end he gets the you know the combiner, which I would have loved to have more of that, but of course I didn't have all the pages I wanted. So, um, but uh, that I, I felt that Starscream would have done the same thing, and it will try to do the same thing Megatron did, but clearly Unicron would have held Megatron in a much higher standard in a much greater regard than Starscream. So. I think that's why he kind of has a really quick conversation, whereas Megatron was just like, look, I'm not working for you. Why should I work for you? You're not doing anything for me. And then Unicron, you know, it's a great conversation. It's the best conversation in the movie, I think, you know, Mm -hmm. between Megatron and uh, Unicron. And Megatron's like, I'm not working for you and you don't own me. And then he's just like, all right, in the back of Megatron's mind, he's like, okay, I got to capitulate. So I'll get upgraded, but I'm going to kill a son of a bitch no matter what. Because even when he gets to Matrix, he's thinking, look, you know what? I just did this so I can get my hands on the Matrix. I'm going to kill you, Unicron. And then Unicron, you know, flipped the script on him and was like, you know, you underestimate me, Galvatron. (laughs) (laughs) Another great line. And, uh, you know, the rest of the story. But uh, I just felt that Starscream would have not been held in as high regard by Unicron, who knew who all of them were, obviously. And um, he just did what he needed for Starscream to do. And then he got tired of him very fast, as people do. And you saw what happened in the book. You know, he's like, look, I'm <laughs> right. tired of you whining. I'm like, you know, I'm done with you. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> did you um did you think about any of the the other Transformers continuity about bringing any of the the like elements from the comics or, or other places into the story? Like, I mean, 
in the comics, they develop a, they develop Unicron and Primus right. a lot more, and, and yeah, the yeah. relationship of Matrix the Matrix to Unicron. Did you think about adding any of that in into the story here? Um, not really, not at all, because you know I only had twenty four pages of story to tell, and I had a really big story that I really wanted to develop, especially with the characters. I had to be extremely, extremely economical and balanced with what I put in each panel. Uh, a lot of the the, the the bigger continuity, like the Simon Furman stuff, and all the recent all all the recent IDW stuff, and also not 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 to not to mention the Japanese stuff, which is a whole other conversation, which we could do an entire podcast episode just about <laughs> the Japanese continuity, G one continuity, that is. Uh, I didn't really have the space or the inclination to try to go deeper into the mythology. We already have enough with Transformers and movie. And if I ever got the chance to do a G1 series or whatever, I would definitely delve deeper into like, you know, the key to Vector Sigma that I always felt that story, like the, the Vector Sigma and Alpha Trion stuff that needed to be much bigger and deeper because that was really cool backstory that deserves still being fleshed out in the uh, Transformers universe. Yeah. And I, I think you see that because, Few other series have gone back to that and, and yeah. tried and Beast tried to Machines do that a touched bit. on it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So in in, in this universe, would um would the Dark Awakening episode be Rodimus coming back as a zombie? That would make sense. Yeah. But actually, his body was gone. So no, because there wasn't even yeah. a body. So no, he wouldn't. Um, I mean, uh, Starscream, well, Starscream's combiner could come back as a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> Or as a or as a giant zone. I know he got obliterated too. I don't know who would take his place. I mean, you could have like Braun and oh. Prowl and all those guys come back. Yeah. Well, Optimus Prime's body was obliterated at one point, but he still showed up because of the G one comment or the G one cartoon. <laughs> you know, who cares about continuity? That's true. That's very true. Because it did blow up. <laughs> I remember that. That's true. That's a good point. I guess anybody could come back then. Yeah, especially in comic books. There you go. Now, uh, moving away from uh, from deviations from the good movie, let, mm-hmm. let's speculate a little bit. Of w- would, is there anything that if you could change one thing about the live action Transformers movies, what would it be? Oh, wow. Jesus Christ. Uh, where do I begin? Shit. Uh, <laughs> honestly, I don't mind the human story. Like in the first movie, I think if they would have built that more into a longer thing. In terms of a love story, uh, a kid coming to terms with his adulthood, his parents, like, you know, like 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 the gremlin style storytelling or the E.T. style storytelling, which is a bigger human story. I think it would have worked a lot better. I would have preferred uh, like a real spike and bu- like a spike and Buster Witwicky story. Like I would I, like I wanted it to be more about the, the father and son because that was a linchpin of generation one especially season one and two, like the, the, the spike in uh, spark, whatever the hell they call spark plug or buster, uh, you know, they had a really, really good relationship, you know? I mean, even in, what was it? The one, the ultimate doom, you know, when, uh, when, when, when uh, Megatron and Decepticons take uh, human slaves, you know, spike risks everything to get to Cybertron to save his dad. Like that kind mm-hmm. of story resonates extremely well. The fact that they made it just about Megan Fox, who I don't mind staring at. I mean, I'm not going to say I have a problem with Megan Fox, but making it so like, oh, he's trying to get with the girl and then the Autobots come and he got all the soldiers. If they would have streamlined it a little bit and maybe 
not had that ridiculous matrix or not the matrix, the all spark story, like all that stuff is just dumb. Like you could have just had the Decepticons come to earth and want to take our energy. It's very simple. Like, why did you, like, I don't understand why they had to hyper complicate it and make it about the all spark. And it's no, you just have, you could take parts of the original pilot and make that a live action movie, you know, have them crash on earth, have them waking up by, you know, the volcano, have them trying to figure who and what they are. And then them run into the humans and the humans help them defeat the Decepticons. That would have worked. It's, it's really simple, you know, but they went off into this whole weird thing where, every, where they had a contract with GMC. So everything's a, a gas guzzling car. All of the Transformers <laughs> are gas guzzling. I'm like, okay, this is just, I mean, come on, you know, it, I don't know. I'd, if they would have just made it a much more streamlined, simple story and followed a little bit more of the G1 continuity, I think they would have been much better movies, particularly that second one, which was an abortion. You know, it was horrifying to watch that movie. <laughs> and uh, The Revenge of the Fallen is just, it's like my bottom three movies of all time. Seriously. So, um, was the second one know. that was hit by the writer strike or the third one? Yeah, that's yeah. that's the one. The that's the yeah. one. I, but you know, they, they they like to blame it on a writer strike, but no. I mean, you could have got a, you could have got. A, I mean, I'm not going to go down. Anyway, the point is, <laughs> uh, <laughs> all I'm just going to say is that if they would have streamlined it and at least have the first two movies, just the first two, deal with uh, the father and son relationship, I think you would have had a nice little arc there that would have uh, made it a smarter and much more fun experience. And that's how I feel about the Michael Bay movies. All right. Yeah, that, that's uh, you say it a lot better, but we, we have the same sentiments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying not to go too far because I can get really vulgar when it comes to these movies. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, let, let's let's go to something a little more positive. So sure, you mentioned sure. the IDW uh, Transformers comics yes. already. So what do you think of the current uh, the current titles that IDW is putting out? I'm going to tell you this much. I've been reading Transformers comics since 1984, and I have to say I've really enjoyed a lot of what I did. I've enjoyed everything. I have not enjoyed every single thing, but this last 50, well, I guess 100 issues between these two separate books, you know, I've really enjoyed them. I, I'm a very, very discriminating Transformers fan. I don't read like the side books like Robots in Disguise or any of that stuff, but I definitely read the main two titles. And there's things I didn't agree with. I didn't really agree with a lot of Dark Cybertron. And I really don't like Autobot Megatron too much, but I understand that they're building towards something. And I like the fact that they're taking the characters seriously. Uh, one of the things I haven't liked about past Transformers books is they don't take it, they don't do any world building. Now, I don't know. I mean, Simon Furman did, but a lot of the Transformers books in the past, they didn't do world building. It was just like a series of incidents. And I really enjoy world building. Like when they did the uh, mm -hmm. War Within storyline at Dreamwave, or it was mm -hmm. IDW. I can't remember. That was Dreamwave. That was Dreamwave. Yeah. yeah. When they did that. And that was it, Simon Furman, too. Yeah. And when they did that and went back to old Cybertron before they trans got their new forms, I thought that is that was so long overdue. That was like 20 years overdue. Like, we should have had that story, other than just the Orion Pax backstory, we should have had a whole long, like, series of just what was happening before they launched. Because one of the things I loved about the original cartoon, particularly the pilot episode, the very first episode, is you get introduced not on Earth, but on Cybertron, and they are in their Cybertronian modes. We don't see all of them, but I thought there was something, even now, as an adult, looking at the G1 show, 
I think there's something really special about a show that starts you on an alien world. Yeah, it every shows car- you there, there's more than what you're yeah. going to see. Yeah. And it, like when I was watching, like when you watch season one, which I still think is really good. I mean, despite my issues with the G1 animation, the writing in season one is very tight. It was, it felt like it was a coherent universe. And those episodes where Megatron would talk to Shockwave or the space bridge, it would go back. I was like, okay, there's this big ass universe out there that we're, we're only seeing a tiny bit of. And I felt for years that a lot of Transformers comics could just fill in that 4 million years because you could just do a story of what Shockwave was up to and all, and other Autobots were up to like Ultra Magnus and all of them. They like, like the, the first season and first and second season Autobots, they're on earth. But then there were a lot of guys who obviously who showed up later who were on Cybertron. So what was Ultra Magnus doing for 4 million years? What was, uh, I don't know how old Hot Rod is, but what were all these guys doing while Optimus and the rest of the crew were presumed dead or missing? You know, that's a whole story within itself that has never been touched, ever, that I'm aware of. Yeah, no, that that's awesome. You know, that that leads right into our next question, because because this is something that we've thought a lot about. We've actually been promoting a petition for the last year to try and convince IDW to do a comic set in the G1 cartoon universe. So yeah. um, I think I don't know if you if you saw the regeneration one that Simon Furman did, I guess, uh, a couple of years ago to re- to revisit the Marvel comic. I did not. And we thought, oh, you, uh, mean, so oh, 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 you mean issue number 81. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. I have those. I have those. I have those. Yeah. So, yeah. so we we saw that idea, and we we would love to go back to the cartoon as well. So, what do you think of that idea? <laughs> and okay. I think I already know the answer. Okay. No, no, no. no. <laughs> in my mind, I've had in my mind another series that fills in a gap. Like, what happens in between 1986 and 2005? Because Season two of Transformers, if if we use the continuity established by the show, ends around 1986 or 87. So how did Megatron and Decepticons conquer Cybertron between the end of season two and the beginning of Transformers, a movie? I think that is a G1 series as a comic book. Now, have I been able to pitch that? I have not been able to pitch that. I don't know if there's any interest in it. However, if Deviation sells extremely well, it will show Hasbro and IDW that there's strong interest in Generation 1 material. Let me repeat that. If Transformers <laughs> Deviation sells extremely well, it will show Hasbro and IDW that there's significant interest for G1 material. Think about it. I, if you want G1, support Transformers Deviations. That's all I'm going to say. I have reserved two copies of every cover from my store, sir. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. There's only two, but thank you so much. No, I mean, seriously, it's like we like because I've talked to people online. I talked to a dude in Vegas not long ago, and he was like, yeah, you know, I really love I really love, uh, you know, Generation One. And I said, well, you know, do you are you going to be buying deviations? He's like, what's deviations? And I'm like, exactly. So, you know, we, we've <laughs> got to get the word out there that. You know, I'm not saying that, you know, I mean, I can't promise that if deviation sells well, that'll lead to it. But I can make a case to say, right. well, this sold how many hundred thousand copies? And if they want more of these stories in this continuity or at least the original G1, we could probably sell about 75% of that number every week. I mean, every month for at least six issues. So people got to, st- I mean, if you want G1 material, you got to let them know. And a petition helps, but people don't care about petitions. People care about sales. 
And if the deviation sells out its first print, which I'm hoping it does, then we'll go to a second print. And second prints make good um, advertising copy because it meant that there's interest. So if you know people who are even 10, you know, on a slightest tangent of a Transformers fan or 80s fan, please let them know that this book is out. Please get them to order it digitally or go and really go to a comic book store and, and get it special ordered. That sends a message too. This is, I mean, and this is for everything. This is just not about Transformers. If anybody out there, and if any of you guys, you know, specifically here who I'm talking to, uh, if you have a series or a character you like, and they get a, a mini series, or they get or they, or they appear in an issue, and your store doesn't have it, pre-ordering that book or getting a special order sends a message to the publisher and to the distributor, and it sends messages to other retailers that hey, people are going to support this. So. If you don't know how the comic book industry works on a retail level, I'm telling you now, pre-orders and like when the previews catalog comes out and you see something and you really want to support it, have that guy, have your owner, male or female, order that book from previews because it sends a message to the publisher. If you like a Marvel comic, a DC comic, it doesn't matter. For Transformers, going back to Transformers, if you want G1, I'm telling you straight up, make sure you get deviations. That's it. I mean that's that's the best way <laughs> straight up. I'm just I don't have I mean yeah. that's how you do it. And, and take Yoshi's that, advice and buy multiple copies. Yeah, that helps too. <laughs> Shit, that really yeah. helps. <laughs> I, I'm doing my part. I'm doing I haven't bought a Transformers comic book since the Mars Attacks crossover. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'm, I'm, shit, yeah, I mean, we this, appreciate it. <laughs> we really appreciate it. Seriously, man. And Damn. we're we're on the same wavelength because that 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 twenty year gap. That's exactly what we, what we were uh, what we were thinking of too. So uh, cool, very cool. So many stories that can be told there. Oh my god, I would try to just wipe out a lot of the season two guys. So I mean, like, <laughs> this is my opportunity. First issue, I kill Beachcomber. First issue. Oh. <laughs> I'm not even, no, dude. I've, you don't understand. I've actually laid out in my mind at least the first few story arcs, and on the first issue, I would just kill Beachcomber because he really annoyed me. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna get rid of him. <laughs> then I'd get rid of Sea Spray. Uh, what's the other guy? It was Sea Spray, and it was another dude I hated. Oh, I would get rid of Power Glide because I hated the way he talked. <laughs> so those are the three guys I'd kill in the first few issues. Immediately, when they did that episode with a girl who loved Power Glide, I was done. I almost stopped. Watching. I swear to God, I swear to God, I almost stopped watching. I was like, "This is horrible! Like, why? Why would you do this?" Like, I was ugh. anyway. Did they have an episode where they turned into mermen or something like that? Or they yeah, became- that was Sea Spray. Oh my God! Between that episode and this, the girl who loved Power Glide, I was done. I was like, I almost stopped watching. I swear to God, I almost stopped because of that. And then I came to my senses. But I was like, if the next episode is anywhere as bad as that, I'm, I'm done. And then luckily, the <laughs> next episode was Megatron's Master Plan, which was fucking awesome. So, <laughs> so, so what you're saying you, uh, is the uh, is if the the character has a funny voice or and the and the toy is a minicon, you're gonna you're gonna kill it off basically. Well, okay, I. I I had Warpath. I had Cosmos. I liked Cosmos a lot, actually. And he had a weird voice. Sea Spray is the uh, Cosmos of the water, man. <laughs> right, but, but you know what was funny? Sea Spray reminded me of Merman from He-Man. And I hated Merman. Like, he talked like that. And I was like, why are they talking like that? Fish yeah. wouldn't talk like that. Like, why would it? Like, they would talk like, I don't know. They were gargling all the time. So 
I uh, no, so I, no, I like the mini cons because I there was this one mini con you may remember these where you had to connect them or else they wouldn't transform. I think it was like general. It was like around the headmaster phase, but it uh, was duo cons. Yeah, that's it. I really like those guys, but um, no, I liked uh, like I had thunder. I mean, I, I had uh, cliff jumper. I had huffer. I had bumblebee. I had uh, Braun. I had a lot of the little guys. It's just those season two little guys pissed me off so much. I don't know why. I just I don't know. I was crazy as a kid. That <laughs> <laughs> <I> was quirky. <laughs> Have you uh, have you played any of the Transformers video games? And recently, I'm thinking I, of Devastation, which, which was of, another uh, G1 game. I played that just came out. Yeah, I played all of them. Unfortunately, those are some horrible. <laughs> up until like like five years ago, every Transformers game was horrible. Yep. I mean, <laughs> fucking horrible. Like I really hated the PlayStation uh, and uh, PlayStation Two era uh, Transformers games. I even imported that horrible Generation One game from Japan. You know, I mean, I I bought the Beast War. I, mean, I was a fan. I'm still a fan. And yeah, anyway, Gen- Devastation kicked ass. Uh, I'm still playing that. Um, it's, it actually is hard as shit. Like when you get past like level five, it gets real hard, real hard. And I'm like getting killed left and right. So, you know, I'm still playing Devastation. But uh, I, I love the fall of Cybertron and the war for Cybertron, whatever that was called. Those two mm-hmm. games. I love those games a lot. And yeah, it's too um, bad those didn't have like the third movie or the third game to kind of complete the story yeah when they get to earth that would have been really cool but uh yeah that wasn't to be i guess so mm-hmm. uh, yeah so i i play all of them i even played the horrible mobile games so uh <laughs> you know I'm, I'm a fan i'm still a fan did and you I still support most of it did you play battle to save earth which one was that one commodore 64 oh that was the one where it was like a, a tape yeah or something yeah there was a tape version, and yeah and it was like numbers on the screen, yeah. And you had to stop them from blowing up. Like it, it, it yeah, I, yeah. That was a horrible, horrible <laughs> game. But the only because it, it was almost like playing Wagon Train or Oregon Trail, but video, but with transform. It was horrible. It was so goddamn horrible. I remember that game, man. So thanks for bringing that, yeah. that horrible fucking memory, man. I very recently got to interview the guy that that pro that developed that game that programmed it. And uh, it's hard to imagine that game came out of the same guy that created Pitfall. He created Pitfall? Yeah. Holy shit. Wow. No, I had a buddy who had the Commodore 64, and I would go over his house. And so I don't know how he got it, but he had it, and he put it in. And we sat there for like about, I swear to God, like 25 minutes for that to load up. And it was just like this this screen. I was like, is this working? And he's like, no, I, I think so. So we sat there and it finally came up and the music's playing or whatever. And then it, it didn't look like anything. It was just like first screen is like a bunch of numbers and you have to pick which robot and then you pick them and they don't really show up. And you're just shooting. It was just, uh, I'm sorry. That was a horrible fucking game. <laughs> that thing was horrible. Man. I'm like, I just, it all came back to me now. I'm like, wow, I forgot about that. I'll put a Man, I'll put a, a link shitty. in the chat for you. Please do, please do. I can download it and uh, there it is. We can emulate it. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be an emulator somewhere. <laughs> oh god, that was horrible. Anyway. <laughs> well, I was going to ask if you were interested in doing future Transformers projects, but I think we know the answer to that. Oh yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> no, I think. It, <laughs> No, the thing is this. I'll tell you. Uh, 
I've been trying. I've been itching to do trans, more transformer stuff for a very long time. So I'm very happy to. I mean, if I never get any more work again, which would be a tragedy. But if I, you know, I, I, I'm happy. I, I would love to do more transformers work, though. <laughs> I love transformers. All right. Uh, so just to to wrap up, I wanted to ask you a little bit about one of the projects that I saw because uh, there's this documentary film that you produced, uh, Brave New Souls. Yes. And I saw that that you wrote, you directed it, you shot it, and you produced it yes. all yourself. So I just wanted to hear about the, the story about that. And <laughs> I haven't gotten a chance to see it yet, but I definitely want to check it out. Sure. I'll tell you all about it. Now, here's the deal. The one thing I don't like is when, once again, people who don't do research. But uh, basically, for the last like 10 years, right, there's been this very vocal group, and I understand, of African-American uh, uh, comic book and animation fans and science fiction fans who keep saying, why isn't this diverse or blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, okay, I understand what you're saying, but there are a bunch of African-American and other types of creators who are already doing things that would make you not want to complain so much. So despite me posting links and me and my colleagues trying to tell people that we create stuff, um, I decided to just make a documentary interviewing um, recent um, African-American science fiction and fantasy writers. So what I wound up doing was taking my very little bit of money and saving up and just going out and meeting people and people I knew who worked in the industry whose contributions had kind of gone under the radar. Now, of course, with everything, I posted that I needed a crew and everybody was like, yeah, man, I'll show up. I'm going to be there. And then and blah, 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 blah. And then when the day came, I was interviewing my first, you know, uh, writer. Nobody showed up. And that became the ebb and flow of things. Every time I said I needed somebody to help me, no one would show up, even though people would say they were going to show up. So I had to light it myself. I had to record sound and I had to operate the camera. And that's what I did. And I interviewed about 15 different creators over the course of like about a year and um, and that was the end result. It's currently streaming on Amazon, so you can either download it or stream it or rent it. And it's called Brave New Souls, uh, Black Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of the 21st Century. And uh, that was something I did about two years ago. All right. Well, we'll have a link to that, too, so people can check that out. That, cool. that sounds like a really cool project. It, it came out pretty nice. I mean... Uh, you know, it, it, it was made under duress. So I mean, it wasn't like <laughs> I was going through some stuff while I was putting that together. So uh, I'm, I'm glad it got done. Uh, so are are there any other uh, upcoming projects that you that you want to tell us about, or you want to you want to uh, let the listeners know about? Let's see. There's some stuff I can't actually talk about right now because I had to sign non disclosure agreements. But um, those who check my Twitter and my Facebook feeds will see probably in two weeks, hopefully, a pretty good announcement about some future comic book work. Okay. And I, I hate to be so vague about it, but I can't talk about it yet because it's just not – I can't. So, But, yeah, in about two weeks, I'm going to be making a pretty decent announcement if everything keeps going the way that it's going. So we can not publish this for two weeks if you want to just spill the beans. No, I can't do okay. it. <laughs> All right. I wish. No, and then you know, and currently I'm um going on interviews for a ton of new TV shows and shows that are returning. So I'm hoping to by the end of April be on a new TV series as a writer. So we'll see how that plays out. And uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I can announce. 
Yeah, I mean, just 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 check my Twitter feed. My Twitter feed is at Brandon Easton, and you can also find me on um, Instagram under Shadow Law Right, and there's two W's in the middle, so it's Shadow Law and the word Right W R I T E, and that's my Instagram uh, page, and you can find me on there too. And I usually make announcements across my social media, so there's some really cool stuff coming, especially in comics. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. All right. All right, we, we like to end the interview with uh, our rapid fire segment. Sure. So there's a, a, a bunch of quick little questions that we'll give you and we'll just go through them one by one. Just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Sure. All right. Autobot or Decepticon? Decepticon. And your favorite Decepticon? Megatron. All right. Transformers live action movie, one, two, three, or four? Uh, one. Okay. Uh, Megan Fox, Rosie Huntington-Wheatley, Nicola Peltz, Shia LaBeouf, or Mark Wahlberg? Oh, come on. It's Megan Fox, dude. That's easy. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, more Than Meets the Eye or Formerly Robots in Disguise? Okay, which is the all right, the one that – Robots in Disguise is the one that was on Cybertron with Starscream taking right. over, right? Yeah, yes. that, that one. I like that one. All right. Uh, third party toys, yes or no? Do you collect oh, no, any of the toys? No, no, no third party. I hate third party. I can't oh, stand okay. third party. No, I, I, co- I still. Okay, I collect. I used to buy a lot of Transformers. Got me in trouble. <laughs> I now buy uh, like the big ones. So I picked up that Devastator down at Comic Con last year, mm-hmm. and um, I'll probably be picking up like Metroplex. And I hope they release Trypticon. Because that's one I always wanted to get as a kid, and I could never find, couldn't it, afford. It, it won a recent fan poll, so. Oh no! Shit! Awesome. I don't, I don't know when they're going to be making it, but that that was what the poll was for. Gotcha. I think it, I think it's 2017. Yeah. So this this year is going to be Fortress Maximus, and next year will be Trypticon. Nice. There you go. So. Cool. All right. Uh, cats or dogs? I like cats. Coffee or tea? Tea. Chicken or steak? Uh, steak. Pepsi or Coke? Oh, Coke. Definitely. Uh, Burger King or McDonald's? Uh, I'd say Wendy's, but if I had to choose, it would be uh, McDonald's. You can you can get a third option, too. That's yeah, I, right. I would do Wendy's <laughs> if I had to choose. Right. <laughs> uh, history or science? Oh, damn. Uh, I got to go both because I'm a fan of both. <laughs> uh, Xbox or PlayStation? Xbox. Call of Duty or Battlefield? Oh, Call of Duty. Easy. Okay. Uh, PC or Mac? Uh, PC. iPhone or Android? Android. And what app on your phone can you not live without? Hmm. Uh, MLB at play. Oh, okay. So you're a big baseball fan. Oh, huge. Yeah, yeah. Dodgers or your team's back east? Oh, I'm from Baltimore, so I'm an Orioles fan. Okay. Oh, okay. Hold my whole life, so I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> Marvel or DC? Oh, uh, Marvel. And who's your favorite Marvel character? Oh, damn, that's a tough one. I don't have one. I would say it's a toss-up between Spider-Man and maybe The Punisher. You know, Megatron technically counts. Oh, I guess (laughs) you're right. (laughs) You know, if I had to go that way, then I would say Galvatron. Oh, okay. Because I I think the comic book version of Galvatron was really lethal and smart. And I like like how he's always been written. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Stallone or Schwarzenegger? Whew, that's tough, man. Damn. Oh, I mean, damn, because I think I like Schwarzenegger's movies more, although I think Stallone is a better creator, if that makes any sense. Okay. 
Yeah, because he he produced the the new uh, the Creed movie that just came yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, as a creator, he's a very smart. He's not dumb. I mean, it, Stallone is a very smart creator. Like he is a really good idea guy and really good implement implementation guy. St- Schwarzenegger doesn't really create anything, but his movies generally are better overall. I mean, Predator. Mm-hmm. I mean, just between the Predator first Predator movie and then the Terminator, the first two Terminator films, Schwarzenegger's got it on lock. And he was a fantastic Conan. I mean, no one can deny that. I mean, he was Conan mm-hmm. one is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen in my life. All right. Uh, Zoe Saldana, Scarlett Johansson or Maggie Q? Oh, I'll go Scarlett. Scarlett, definitely. All right. Yeah. Twilight or Hunger Games? Oh, Hunger Games. Or oh, actually, I'd say Battle Royale, to be honest. <laughs> Which is what it stole from, but... <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Pixar or DreamWorks? Oh, Pixar. Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, man, I can't. Nah, I love them. Believe it or not, I love them both the same. It's it's going to sound straight. I can't pick either one. Okay. Simpsons or Family Guy? Oh, Simpsons. Well, season one through ten of Simpsons. <laughs> uh, Walking Dead or Game of Thrones? Oh, shit. Well, god damn, that's a toughie. I think Walking Dead is a much better TV show, but Game of Thrones is a better universe realized on film. Oh, okay. I mean, realized in live action, I'd say. Right. Uh, NFL, MLB, NHL, or NBA? Oh, MLB all day. Right. <laughs> uh, Porsche, Ferrari, or Lamborghini? Hmm. Who? Porsche because a Porsche is easy to get parts for. <laughs> Our last question, uh, blonde, brunette, or redhead? Uh, brunette, definitely. All right. You made it through the gauntlet. <laughs> awesome, man. That was fun. I could do that all night, actually. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, we, we like to do that for all our our, uh, our guests to give everyone a sense of, uh, of who you are. Cool. I like that. Awesome, man. Thank you. All right. I think you, you already mentioned uh, where people can can check out your stuff online. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll put the links in the show notes to your Twitter and Instagram. Cool. And uh, we want to thank you so much for, for coming on the show and talking with us. Oh, I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I mean, yeah. uh, I didn't know if there were – I mean, I don't know how many Transformers podcasts are out there. But anytime you guys want me to uh, come back and just talk – I mean, I can talk Transformers all day, clearly. I mean, it doesn't even have to be about me. We could just – Talk to anytime you want. Just let me know. And um, if I'm free, then I can uh, come back sometime in the future. Awesome. 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 Well, <laughs> we will take you up on that. Thank you. I, I would love to do it. I mean, I really like tra- – I, I don't have anybody to talk about this shit with. So it's like <laughs> – <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, it would be great just to talk about it and not feel like, you know, I'm fucking crazy or something because I bring it up and the people look at me like, why are you talking about Ted's football? Like, because it's awesome. You know? it's like, You're uh, not alone. Don't worry. <laughs> That's why we started this podcast. <laughs> I understand. I completely understand, man. Because uh, Yeah, so yes. I would, Yeah. Thank you for having me. Definitely. <laughs> All right, everyone, go check out Transformers Deviations. It's on comic shops right now. It's on. It's available on digital and in your local comic store. And yeah, get there's two covers out, so get both four covers, copies. Pick them up. Four copies. <laughs> and and there you go. <laughs> Show IDW that people want to see more G1 uh, cartoon comics. And uh, you can also go sign our petition. So we always have a link in the show notes for our petition as well. But uh, sign the petition and buy the comic. So do both. And I uh, think that'll do it for uh, this episode of Transmissions. Again, thank you so much to Brandon Easton for joining us. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you next time. 
Bye-bye. Take care. Goodbye. Later. Bye, everybody. Thanks for picking up our transmissions. Give us feedback on our website at www.transmissionspodcast.com. There, you can find all of our contact information on social media, as well as all of the links to our show notes discussed on each episode. You can also email us directly at feedback at transmissionspodcast.com.